Okay, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And, as always, it's exciting because we are beginning a new chapter, which we're beginning a new chapter uh, with the new year tomorrow, a brand new year. And I would encourage everyone to um, start the new year with, as Dave mentioned, expecting good things because our God is good and His plans for us are good and not for evil. We should look beyond the temporary. As Dave mentioned, you know, you look around and we've talked so much about things that are going on in the world. The good news, everything around us in this world today is temporary. God's kingdom is eternal. And so... Um, We can be excited because we see so many signs that the return of Christ is near. But looking even beyond that into eternity, and and I think we get that perspective even today from this study. So let's read the first five verses together. 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his life in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. We have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, They think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Let's pray. Father, we we ask that you bless this time of Bible study as we look at this first five verses of 1 Peter chapter 4. We ask you to open our hearts and minds, give us insight and understanding. And Lord, help us to be able to apply these scriptures this teaching today in our own personal lives as we continue to seek seek after you and continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So Peter starts off chapter 4 verse 1 although there weren't chapters in the original scriptures of course. These were created to enable us to more easily navigate them and digest them but we begin here with the word therefore and we always know that when that word comes into play it means that what he's about to tell us is in light of something that he's already told us therefore in light of as we saw back in first peter 3 verse 18 for christ also suffered once for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to god being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Hebrews 12.2 Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before Him. So Jesus, as I said a moment ago, as we enter the new year, I believe God wants us to enter it you know, with great expectations for good things, but looking beyond the temporary and into the eternal. And that's what enabled Jesus to endure the suffering that he had to endure. He looked beyond the cross. He looked to the throne, 
seated at the right hand of the Father. And then every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so he saw the glory that awaited him beyond the cross and that enabled him to endure the cross. Just as for you and I, looking beyond the trials and tribulations of daily life to the eternal glory that awaits us in God's presence. Again, in this life, there are times of blessing, times of joy, and then there are times of difficulty, times of tribulation, times of sorrow. And here's the weird thing about it. In the good times, we have a tendency, and the scriptures confirm this, in the good times, we have a tendency to forget about God. In the bad times, we have a tendency to get mad at God, right? But the idea is uh, that we would have a heart attitude that is not affected by the good times or the bad times. That we're, you know, as Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. That's the kind of attitude that God wants every believer to have. We don't get too overly excited about the good times, knowing that they come and go, and not getting too upset about the bad times, knowing that God is still on the throne, God is still in control, and that we are not subject to our circumstances in life. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Therefore, in light of these things, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, and I think we may have touched on this last time, but once Christ came, once Christ endured the things that he endured, not just in his final hours, but throughout his earthly life, he experienced the same things that you and I experience. He was tempted in every way as you and I are. And yet he did not sin. But once Christ came, lived that life here on earth as a human being, as a man, and then died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead, no one could any longer say that God doesn't understand. I can't relate to him. Because God became one of us. So he suffered for us in the flesh. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So, it would be hard for someone to say God the Creator, the Eternal One, the Unseen One, the Unknown One in many ways. He's our role model. How do you model yourself after someone that you can't see, you can't understand, He's somewhere out there. But now, we have a role model that we can identify with, we can relate to. Jesus is our role model, as the one who was put to death in the flesh in order to live by the Spirit for all eternity. He proved that it is worth it. The things that we have to go through in this life. And I'm sure there are many, many times when most people have those kind of thoughts may even express them verbally. Man, is it really all worth it? We know there are people who at times say, man, I wish I'd never been born. This is just 
This life is too much. But you know, I always thank God that I was born because if I hadn't been born, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to know Him and receive the gift of eternal life and live forever in His presence. I like existing. I don't know about you. In spite of all the problems that we endure, all the trials, all the difficulties. In fact, as you, most of you probably know, I've shared my testimony many times. I received Christ as a young man, preschool age, and have always been a believer uh, from that point on. There was never a point where I decided I didn't believe in God anymore. But there was a time period, interestingly enough, it was the time period in which I was, if you want to use the word backslidden, I stopped attending church in the seventh grade and didn't return until my junior year of high school. And during that time period was when I dealt with some fears regarding the afterlife. The thought of no longer existing really bothered me a lot because I like being, I like living, I like existing. And because I was not in regular church attendance, being fed in the Word of God and fellowshipping with other believers, I kind of fell into this stage or phase where I really wasn't sure what happened after death. And my worst fear was not going to hell because I knew that I was saved, that Christ had forgiven my sins. My worst fear was, what if there's nothing? What if you just cease to exist? And it wasn't until I recommitted my life to Christ and regained that assurance of an afterlife with Him that that issue was put to rest for me. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, or one translation says attitude, Being properly armed as a soldier of the cross enables you to fight the good fight of the faith effectively. As citizens of heaven, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're a child of God, born again by the Spirit of God, you are now a citizen of the eternal kingdom of heaven. Do you realize that? We must be properly armed to protect ourselves. Why, why does someone arm themselves? For protection. But from what? We'll see in just a moment. But notice here the armor that Peter is talking about is the armor of the mind, the attitude. And I have known and taught and believed for many years that in terms of spiritual warfare, which Every believer is engaged in whether you realize it or not. You can choose to ignore it, but that makes you more vulnerable to the enemy. But the battle for us as believers is either won or lost in the mind. The thought life. That's why we're told in, the, in Corinthians, take every thought captive unto Christ. Because the enemy is always seeking to take control of our minds, our thought life. And Jesus taught that if you've thought it, you've done it. If you've 
thought about. If you've lusted after someone in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you've hated someone, you've murdered them. The battle is won or lost in the mind. And therefore, Peter says, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. What attitude is he talking about here? The same attitude that Christ had when he was willing to endure the suffering that he endured because he was looking beyond that to the glory that awaited him. That's what enables us to endure in this life. Many people give in and they go for the temporary so-called fix, which isn't really a fix. They go for the alcohol. They go for the drugs. They go for the sex. They go for the materialism. For the quick fix. What does the Word of God teach us? There's a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death and destruction. Philippians 2, 5 through 10. Let this mind or attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. When being in the form of God, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, as one member of the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he understood his place within that Godhead, but made himself of no reputation. He was willing to lay aside his heavenly glory, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the, the likeness of men. So the Son of God, the King of Kings, came into this world and not only did He come into this world to be a teacher, a rabbi, a savior, He displayed the ultimate acts of servanthood, laying down His life, getting down on His hands and knees, washing the disciples' feet, humbling Himself, the greatest in the universe willingly reduced himself to the least. Coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, which, you know, we all take great pains to try to maintain our appearance as best we can. And there are many modern uh, methods <laughs> of doing that. But for Jesus... Taking on the form of a man was a tremendous step down. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even the death on the cross. Obedient to the Father. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Verse 10. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So we see with Jesus, He starts in heaven with the Father, the place of glory, sets it aside, comes to earth, humbles Himself, endures tremendous suffering, and then Again, he is exalted to the highest place. And the message that that sends us, and Peter is sending to us here in this epistle, is that the more we are willing to follow in the footsteps of Christ, the greater the glory will be for us in God's eternal kingdom. 
He who has suffered in the flesh, as we continue here in verse 1 of 1 Peter 4, he who has suffered in the flesh, now this is not referring to Jesus, this is referring to any of us who are willing to follow in Jesus' footsteps and suffer in the flesh. That doesn't mean that everything about our lives is nothing but suffering. But realistically, that's part of the human condition. And I would say one of the big problems in the church today is that it would appear that most people attending churches, particularly in America today, of various denominations or non-denominations, don't want to hear anything about suffering. But that's not reality. Certainly the scriptures are filled with many wonderful promises. And by the way, they almost all have to do with eternity. Do you realize that? Everybody wants the Reverend Ike Christianity. You can have your pie in the sky now with ice cream on top. But see, the thing is, God is trying to prepare us for eternity because that lasts a really long time. (laughs) This life is short. And if all we do is focus on the here and now, what makes us feel good here and now, we won't be prepared for eternity. We won't even be prepared for this life Because that kind of a a mentality is not reality. I've just, uh, I went to see an incredible movie called The Darkest Hour about Winston Churchill leading up to World War II. And I don't know how much you know about Winston Churchill. I've learned a lot. In fact, I've watched two more movies about him since. I love historical films, historical personalities especially great personalities like Winston Churchill. It reminded me of another leader that's uh, hanging around these days. Winston Churchill's own party was against him. The other party was against him. The king was afraid of him. They kept trying to run him out of office and run him out of power. He was the only one willing to stand up against Hitler and the Nazi regime. And he basically saved the world. And he backed down and given in to everyone around him. God only knows what this world would be like today if it would even be here. He stood alone. He stood strong. But just in watching these films and being reminded of the tremendous suffering people went through less than a century ago. And when you look at the fact that World War I ended in, what, 1918? And then World War II began, technically 1940, but even earlier with Hitler, 39, invading Poland and various European countries. There was only a 20-year gap between World War I and World War II. Can you imagine what it would have been like to have lived during that time period? There were people in the previous century that lived a large part of their lives under the threat of annihilation. The British Isles were this close to being overrun by the Germans. America, Pearl Harbor was attacked. We think we have it bad today with these terrorist threats. And there have been some bad ones in the U.S., but they're fairly limited compared to what's been happening in Europe and the Middle East. And 
Everybody who was born from the end of World War II forward, the baby boom generation, the gen, I don't know what, X, Y, Z, millennials, and then America have no clue what it's like to grow up in a time of intense threat and fear and suffering. And if you look over the course of human history, and again, the vast majority of it has been self-inflicted. Human being upon human being. Nation upon nation. Culture upon culture. Self-inflicted, that's a result of the fall. That's a result of sin. We live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. And that's why what will enable us to endure and to continue on is to do what Jesus did. Look beyond our cross. We all have a cross to bear in life, right? For some it might be a health issue, multiple health issues. Others it could be financial. There are many different types of crosses. The ultimate cross that Jesus bore and the one that he calls us to bear is the cross of self-denial like Peter's talking about here. Suffering in the flesh. But it really isn't even suffering because as I mentioned earlier, the people who go for the quick fix and think they can feel better by indulging in alcohol and drugs and sex and pornography and all these things and they think they're finding some comfort and some pleasure, they're actually destroying themselves. Whereas we who, if we're not careful, go around having a constant pity party because we're suffering in some way, that's foolish because the suffering leads to the glory. The ones who are really suffering are the ones who don't know it. And the ones who think they're suffering really aren't because that suffering will lead us to eternal glory in the presence of God. He who has suffered in the flesh. Again, that takes on many forms. Denying your flesh. Things that you desire. Things that you want. Things that you think will make you happy. That will make you feel better. But in the long run, all they do is destroy you. But we, we take it as suffering. Suffering in the flesh. You may not rise to the rank in the military or in the police force or in your place of work. You might not rise to the rank that you might otherwise have risen to. You might be one of the most talented singers, musicians, performers, artists, artisan. But because you put Christ first in your life, you may be denied recognition. You may be denied the success that those who follow another path enjoy. Suffering in the flesh. I'm sure we've all heard singers, musicians, performers, other types of creative people, and we think, man, that person should be world famous. But because they put Christ first, very few people know about them. But guess who does know about them? The one who created them. And the one with whom they will live forever. But I see it all the time. Maybe not so much lately. I praised you guys a couple of weeks ago. And I'll do it again. This is a very mature group of believers. I see very little selfishness, ambition in this church. But over the many years I've been involved in ministry, I have seen it over and over again. People getting irritated, frustrated, upset, angry but for not receiving the recognition they think they deserve. 
The Bible says that God will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up in due season. But if you are walking in pride, He will take you down. If we're looking for our accolades and our rewards in this life, we are going to be greatly disappointed. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Anyone who claims Christ as Lord and Savior should be dead to sin. That's the ideal. That's the goal. That's the standard. We know we all fall short. Romans 6, 9 through 13. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Now again, I mentioned we know that we all fall short. We all stumble in many ways. Praise God, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? But again, we talk about, I know, we don't want to talk about problems in the church. Everything's peachy, rosy, creamy. But there's a big problem in the church today, and that is more and more believers are being taught that you don't have to stop sinning. You can just be who you are, do what you want. The only problem is that's exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches. Now, I'm not trying to heap condemnation on anyone here because I know, like Paul said, towards the end of his life, I am the chief of sinners. But it's not something we brag about. It's something we confess in humility and brokenness before God that in spite of our best efforts, we still fall miserably short proving how much we need Jesus. There's a difference between acknowledging our own inability to be perfect and bragging about it. You see the difference? Well, I don't know what church you go to, but at my church, it's okay to live together when you're not married. It's okay to be homosexual. It's okay to be in a homosexual marriage or relationship. It's okay to get intoxicated. It's okay to do this and that and the other thing because I've got a great church. It's just like the kid who brags that his parents never discipline him. But inside, he's hurting because he knows he needs discipline. They may brag about it to their friends. Oh, I get to do whatever I want. My parents aren't even home most of the time. I have free reign. We have parties. It's great. But inside his heart is broken because he really doesn't think they care enough about him to discipline him. Those whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He disciplines. There's the balance. We're not teaching legalism here. Oh, if you sin, you're going to hell. I grew up in a church like that. Arminianism. Every time you sin, you have to get resaved. There's only one salvation. Many times of repentance. Many times of confession. You get saved once, but you're going to spend the rest of your life confessing and repenting because we all stumble in many ways. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead and indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. In the book of Romans, we talked so much about that struggle. Paul talked about it. That which I would not do, I do. And that which I would do, I do not. 
The old man, I, I liken it unto the zombie. No matter how many times you kill that thing, it keeps coming back. It's a lifelong struggle. The spirit versus the flesh. But when you give in and you no longer struggle and you let sin begin to reign in your life, that's when you've got a problem. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 2, that he no longer, he, can apply to each one of us here today. He, the one who suffered in the flesh. And if you are a believer, then at least to one degree or another, you have definitely suffered in the flesh as a result of your faith. That he no longer, or she no longer, should live the rest of his or her life in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. You know what I love about the Scriptures? You know what I love about God? Everything is crystal clear. The world tries to make everything gray and foggy and misty. So there's lots of wiggle room. You know what I mean? God makes it clear, cut and dry. This is how it is. Problem is, most people today don't like that. They don't like cut and dried. They don't like black and white. They don't like right or wrong. Include many who walk through these doors. They're the ones that you see walk out early. I'm just saying. If you don't like right and wrong, black and white, good versus evil, then you don't like God. How do you like that? That's truth coming at you. I want to read that verse again. That he no longer should live the rest of his life in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. There it is. Two choices. Lust of the flesh of men, will of God. From the moment we receive Christ, the rest of our lives should be devoted to serving God and doing His will. And you know what I say to that? God help us. We need His help. It's the whole idea. That no longer should, uh, He should no longer live the rest of His life in the flesh, whether that be five years or 50 years or however long. We often hear the term backslidden, fallen away. In theory, that should never happen. In practicality, it does, sadly. And again, the worst part of that is not that God will not take you back because He always will. The Scriptures clearly teach that no matter how many times we fail, Jesus taught this to Peter. Lord, if my brother sins against me, comes and asks for forgiveness. How many times should I forgive him? Seven times? The perfect number? Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. What was Jesus teaching? Yes, that we should be unlimited in our forgiveness towards one another, but also that God is unlimited in His forgiveness towards us. The biggest problem with backsliding or falling away is it's not so easy to get back again. You're, you're taking a tremendous risk. You are risking life and limb. You are risking eternity when you choose to turn from God and begin to once again indulge in, this, in the lusts of the flesh. Again, there's, there's two, side, two major 
theological positions. Arminianism, you can lose your salvation. Calvinism, you cannot. Therefore, Calvinism teaches if you fall away, you weren't ever really saved to begin with. You weren't chosen. You weren't called. Your salvation was not genuine. Arminianism teaches that it is genuine, but if you sin, you lose it. And you've got to get resaved over and over again. I don't think either one is accurate. God was around long before Calvin or Arminius. But I do know there are plenty of scriptures that warn about the dangers of failing to continue to follow God. It's a healthy fear we should all have. It should squash and squelch any temptation to turn away and go back and to begin to delve again into the things of the world. You already tried that, didn't you? If it was so great, why did you turn to Jesus? My wife pointed out something to me this morning. When we look back on our lives, we always tend to remember the good parts, right? We ought not to do that. We need to be careful to remind ourselves of all the bad stuff that happened before Christ. All the things that we thought were really great at the time, but we realized were really very destructive. And we ought not to look back. In fact, Jesus said, having put your hand to the plow, if you turn and look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. Talk about one of those scriptures that's designed to keep you in a healthy place of fear. Not fear that we're going to, oh my gosh, I I better be careful, I'm going to lose my salvation. No, we should be very afraid that if we turn to the left or to the right or look back, we might lose sight of God. He never loses sight of us. I would be willing to bet if I asked for a show of hands, which I'm not going to do, almost everybody here today knows someone like that who looked back, who turned to the left, who turned to the right, who backslid or fell away, and they're not with God today. If you want to play Russian roulette with your eternal destination, have at it. Personally, I don't want to do that. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So again, as I mentioned a moment ago, every human being only has two choices for how we're going to live our lives. Again, Oh, that's not fair. I want more choices, just like I want more gender choices. What if I don't want to be a man or a woman? I could say a lot more, but I will stop right there. (laughs) Two choices on how we're going to live our lives. In the flesh, for the lusts of men. Two, for the will of God. Any other so-called neutral or alternate paths are nothing more than self-deception. Do you realize that? Bob Dylan laid it out. You've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord. Verse 3, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. We've spent enough of our past lifetime. I've said this before and I'll say it again here today. I've never met anyone yet who said, I wish I would have waited longer to become a Christian. I've only heard people say, I wish I would have done it sooner. Because every moment that we've lived on this planet without Christ 
Now, God does work in our lives even before we know Him. He knows us. I can see His hand all over my life from way back, guiding, directing, orchestrating. But in many ways, as Peter points out here, we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. Every moment spent indulging our sinful flesh is wasted time. There's an old song by an old singer, Freddie Fender, Wasted Days and Wasted Nights. And that's exactly what our lives were without Christ. My plan on how to use the talents and gifts and abilities that God had given me, my plan was much different than His plan. I would have used them for my own purposes, my own desires, my own benefit. But in yielding my life to Christ, I came to realize it's all for Him. It's all about Him. It's all because of Him. We've spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. Doing what pagans. That's what it means here. The Gentiles were the pagans. Doing what pagans choose to do. Which, by the way, reminds us once again, it's not, the devil made me do it, honey. Flip Wilson. Remember him, some of you old folks? The devil made me do it. Geraldine. No, the devil didn't make you do it. He's always there to encourage, but sin is a choice. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. This is a passage of scripture I'm sure most churches don't want to read today. But God put it in there. If he put it in there, we're supposed to read it. And we're supposed to obey it. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Again, God speaks in black and white, right or wrong. Paul's warning in 1 Corinthians is given against the background in the church in Corinth. It was a culture, it was a society engaging in incest, homosexuality, pederasty, that's pedophilia, and other unnatural sexual vices that were prevalent among the Greeks and Romans. Gee, it sounds pretty much like modern day civilization, does it not? Socrates, you've all heard of Socrates, and 14 of the first 15 Roman emperors practiced homosexuality. And Paul did not want Christianity confused with sects, S-E-C-T-S, sects, that permitted these types of things. We will finish this study next week. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to help us to digest this two verses that we've looked at today, or three, to take them to heart. Lord, and we thank you that there is grace. Your grace is sufficient for us. Father, you know that in this life we will never achieve perfection. But Lord, your plan, your purpose, your desire in sending your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die on the cross 
for our sins and to be raised from the dead was to impart to us the precious gift of eternal life and also to give us a sense of our eternal destiny and purpose which goes way beyond the temporary aspects of this life. And Father, yes, there, there are some expectations that have been handed down to us. All the time, knowing full well, we will fall short. But Lord, you're there to help us, to strengthen us, to guide us, to direct us. And the more we're willing to listen to you and follow you, the straighter our path will be. Lord, you love us. You prove that by giving up your only son on the cross. You want only the best for us. You created us. You know. Father knows best. Lord, please help us to be daily mindful of that fact. Lord, forgive us if we ever fall into the mentality that somehow you're trying to deprive us or harm us or prevent us from fully enjoying life here on earth because you've told us in your word, John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Father, give us eyes that see beyond the here and now. Eyes that see into eternity. As Paul said, we fix our eyes on that which is not seen. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to endure. Whatever cross it is you've called us to bear in this life. Because we can see the joy set before us beyond the cross, beyond this life, beyond physical death, into eternity, the resurrection, the eternal glorified body that awaits us spending eternity in paradise with you. Lord, we can't really fully imagine it, understand it, but we know enough about it to know that there's nothing better. Lord, give us your strength. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Pray as we enter this new year that we will be able to renew our commitment to you, our decisiveness, our stick Lord, your word says those who endure to the end will be saved. Help us to endure. Help us to fight the good fight of the faith and help us to bring glory and honor to you in all that we do and say. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.